Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski, and today we have the legendary, the one and only Jeb Blunt, the author of Fanatical Prospecting and a ton of other really kick-ass books. Nick, why should people listen? Jeb has been a foundational element of my selling career. When I first became an AE, I bought Fanatical Prospecting. I went to Fogo de Chao, and I literally spent four and a half hours reading the book and eating ribeye steak. And if that doesn't tell you how important Jeb is, I don't know what will. Three, two, one, eat this episode. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Super Cadence by Influ2, which helps cut through the noise of oversaturated prospecting channels. If you want to get your prospect's attention, you got to do stuff a robot would never do. One of my favorite plays is getting warm introductions to the accounts that I'm targeting via salespeople who work at that account. Salespeople help salespeople. Another approach could be using Super Cadence to run SDR ads to put a face to the name. Now, we worked with Influ2 to put together a special toolkit on ways to humanize your outreach, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with RocketReach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press command H and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox. If I don't get a reply in two days, that means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time, every time you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. All right, Jeb, welcome to the show. We start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three. 
Well, the first one is the more people you talk with, the more you're going to sell. And this simply means that sales is a human endeavor. And far too many salespeople these days have become asynchronous. So they hide behind email, text, by social media, anything but have a conversation with people. The more people you talk with, the more you're going to sell. Number two is that success is paid for in advance with prospecting. And folks, the rent is due every single day. We're going to talk a little bit more about the 30-day rule, but the 30-day rule simply says that the prospecting that you do in any given 30-day period has a tendency to pay off for you you over the next 90 days. So you got to do it every day, every day, every day. And finally, we'll talk about the ledge. I love the ledge technique. The ledge technique is what neuroscientists call the magic quarter second that gives you just a moment when you're facing an objection to gather your thoughts, gather your emotions so you know exactly what to say. Boom, the man himself. All right, we're going to start on the phones and then work our way backwards to the routines. So Jeb, you give me a cold call. I slam you with, I'm not interested or I'm already using something. And immediately what most reps do is they speed up and they're like, "Uh, can I get 30 seconds to tell you why I'm calling? And so what do I do in the moment that I'm hit with one of those dismissive objections to stop the bleeding and properly assess the situation? So When you get an objection, the first thing you got to understand is that you kick off that objection, kick off something called fight or flight. And your in fight or flight is basically your body's response to a threat. And you wouldn't think a a sales objection or a prospecting objection would be a threat, but because of the way that we are built as human beings, we respond to two different types of threats. One would be a physical threat. So you would have the same response, for example, if you were taking a hike in the mountains near LA and a mountain lion came out on the path in front of you, fight or flight would happen. And by the way, the exact same feeling, that exact same response happens when you're on a prospecting call and someone tells you no, that's called a social threat. Human beings are incredibly sensitive to being rejected. And we are for a reason. It's a kind of a double-edged sword, right? So the sensitivity to being rejected helps you get along with people. It's, it allows you to function in society. And it's, it's a, it's a response to the fact that we work inside of groups and our greatest fear other than death is to be kicked out of the group, right? To be, to be rejected and pushed aside. So if you think about it, we're, we're facing those two big fears. So when someone tells you no on a prospecting call, your body, starting with a little a little structure inside of your brain called the amygdala senses that someone's rejecting you. You're getting kicked out of the group. My, my greatest fear. And I need to run, right? Or, Or in some cases I need to fight, which would be getting an argument with them. And so what you have to do in that moment is you have to disrupt that process and rise above the disruptive emotion of fight or flight and choose your response. During a fight or flight response, all of the blood in your body is running into your muscle skeletal system to get you ready to respond to the threat. And it's a threat. And when that happens, the body, since it only has so much blood to go around, begins to take blood away from non-essential parts of your body. One of those non-essential parts, the old neocortex, because when you're facing a threat, it doesn't pay to think, it pays to get away from the threat. That's why sometimes when you get that objection and you're, you know, you're getting, you're going, you're, you're like, your brain's going, I know what to say, but your mouth's going, because oh, 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 you don't know what to say. So what we use is a simple technique called a ledge. And all the ledges, something that you say every single time you get that response that gives you what neuroscientists call the magic quarter second that allows you to rise above the disruptive emotion and choose your response. And trust me on this, you know what to say. It's just hard to find the words when you're consumed by this fight or flight emotion. 
So for example, if someone says, I'm not interested, then your response might be, I figured you'd probably say that, right? I say that all the time. People say, I'm not interested. I say, I figured you'd probably say that. Or I'm not interested. I say, you know, that's what everybody says. That's a simple ledge. Or if someone says, um, you know, I'm too busy, I go, well, that's exactly why I called. Or if someone says, I'm happy, I go, that's fantastic. And I don't have to think about it. I say those things every single time. And, and by the way, deeper into the, into the sales conversations, ledges can become questions versus statements. But typically, in a, a prospecting objection, because it's moving really, really fast, you need it to be a statement. So we begin with a ledge. And then a disrupt statement. And then I ask again, and this is important. If you don't ask again, they're going to go right back to where they were before. You have to ask again. That's the biggest mistake that we make in this framework. So for example, uh, we were talking earlier in the pre-show about, you know, what happens when they say I'm happy? Because that's what people say. Like most of the time they go, look, I'm happy. I'm all good. We got a great vendor. And what works, and Armand, you've been using this, so you know this works, is I'll say something like this. I'll say, that's fantastic. Because they're not expecting you to say that, right? So they're they're expecting you to say, well, I understand. But like the only two people in the world that say I understand are mamas and salespeople. So now you're just a pattern, right? So if you're a pattern, it's easy to turn you off. So I say, that's fantastic because they're not expecting me to agree with them. And I don't say it that's great because it's not great, right? And I don't say I'm happy for you because I'm not happy. I just say that's fantastic. Well, you're happy. That's fantastic. And then I move into a really simple frame. That's fantastic. You know, anytime you're getting great rates or great prices and great service, you should never think about changing. Now, I'm doing two things in that moment. And you have to recognize that what I'm doing right now is happening fast and it's happening at the subconscious level, right? So when I say anytime you're getting great rates and great you know, great service, you should never think about changing. If I say great prices and great service, I'm immediately priming them to think, I'm really getting great rates and great service. Now that's again, happening at the subconscious level, but it's creating a little bit of doubt. If you're getting this, you shouldn't change, right? That makes sense. So if you're getting great rates and great prices, you shouldn't change. But then I use something that's, um, that's, that, that triggers something called reactants. You should never change. Now think about it. Nick, when someone tells you that you shouldn't do something, you should never do something, right? What do you immediately do? Say, Screw I'm gonna you, do I'll do it, right? Well, that's I, right. Yeah. Yeah, your inner three-year-old comes to the surface and you go, I'll show you. So if you tell someone they should never do something, immediately like, well, wait a minute. And sometimes people will stop you. They go, what do you mean I shouldn't change? I'm like, well, I mean, if you're getting great service and great prices, you said you were happy. Well, I might not be happy. Okay, well, let's get together, right? So so I, all I'm doing is triggering this little bit of a tug, right? Am I really getting great service and great prices? And, you know, I, wait a minute, I can change if I want to. You should never think about changing. And then I go, look, all I want is an opportunity to put a name with a face, right? So if I'm asking for a video call, name with a face, right? Or if I'm, if, I'm, uh, if I'm going there in person, you know, name with a face. But I say, all I want to do is put a name with a face and, uh, and learn a little bit more about you. And at a minimum, look, at a minimum, I'll leave you with some competitive pricing that will help you keep, and this is important, the way that you say this, the other guy's honest, I'd never say my competitor because when I say competitor, I put them on the same plane as me, the other guys. So at a, at a, at a minimum, I'll leave you with some com- competitive rates. We'll keep the other guys honest. Okay. Now I've got leverage, right? Because guess what? Curiosity for human beings, powerful, right? So if you're curious to see my rates, the only way you're going to get my rates is to meet with me, right? And, and then some salespeople say, well, what, I don't want to leave rates. Like we don't leave with prices. I'm like, 
I'm trying to get the meeting. And when you get there, if I interview them, like I'm doing discovery and there's not a fit, I'm not going to give them a proposal. If there's a fit, I'm going to give them competitive prices. So at a minimum, I'll leave you with competitive prices. It'll help to keep the other guys honest. And people say yes to that because guess what? Everybody wants to make sure that they're not getting screwed over by the vendor that they say they're happy with. And here's what's most important. Everybody says they're happy. They all say they're happy because that's a reflex response. I mean, if if you just only sold to people who are unhappy, you're going to go broke. They're all happy. Just assume that the entire world is happy. Your job is to make them unhappy, right? So we get this. We understand that rejection, right, is, is a threat to human beings, a social threat, because our greatest fear other than death is getting kicked out of the group. Make sense? The thing is, is it serves us well when we're dealing with other human beings because it allows us to know where the line is drawn, which is why it's natural for us to be averse to being rejected. However, in sales, right, your job is to go out and find rejection and bring it home. So what you need is a mechanism or a, a, you know, a, a, a framework that will allow you to get past that rejection. And, and just, um, I, I think you said plug fest earlier. So just as a plug, I wrote an entire book about this called objections that is, uh, has been a mega bestseller all over the world. And it, and it, it's real. Like it just, like, I just tell you the truth. The, the truth is, this is how you're going to feel. This is the, this is what's going to happen. And I walk you through the different objections that you get all throughout the sales process, all the way to closing the deal and the different ways that you can manage those. But this ledge process of gathering control of your emotions, because basically in every conversation, the human being that has the most control of their emotions is the one most likely to get their desired outcome, in this case, getting the meeting. But if you can control your emotions, then you can control your response. And if you can control your response, you're going to be in control of the conversation and you're going to win or get the outcome that you desire. Hey, Jeb, one situation that's related to objections where I feel like there's a mountain lion staring me down on a hike is when I'm dealing with what some folks might call a gatekeeper. So I'm calling Armand Farouk and I think I have his direct dial, but then somebody else picks up and they say, Armand Farouk's office. That's one of the biggest situations where I'm like, I don't really know what to say. One of the things I learned from you is I say, hey, could you please connect me with Armand Farouk, please? And I do the double please. But when I get hit with the, what is this regarding? I have no idea what to say. So what do, what do you typically say? So I'll say we work with a bunch of other law firms in Atlanta who are looking to improve their attorney timekeeper experience. And I was hoping to have a conversation with him about how we could potentially help. And then 99% of the time I get hit with a, yeah, we're not interested. And then I'll hang up the phone and I'll say, all right, well, I better find a different phone number, call after hours or find a different way to reach this person because I'm never going to get past that gatekeeper. Okay. So you have run into a $10 an hour person who is making a decision for a multi-million dollar law firm. So if that person, whether it's true or not, thinks that you're a threat to them, they're unlikely to let you through. They also, if they don't feel like it's in their boss's best interest for them to talk to you, they're going to say, I'm not interested. So first of all, you want to think about what your messaging is. So if you say a bunch of law firms, does that sound exactly confident? Not really. A bunch of law firms, (laughs) right? A plethora of law firms, a gaggle of law firms, right? A gaggle. <laughs> a gaggle of law firms. So one thing that you could do is use a specific reference. So we work with Blunt Monastery and Taylor uh, over on Peachtree Street. 
And we've been helping them improve their billing through improving the way that the attorneys log time, which has increased their you know billing by 20 percent. Uh, and uh, and they said that we should probably talk to you. So I'm, I'm using a specific reference, social proof, right? Someone else who's doing it. And I'm using that. And if you have that, like if you don't have that reference, then you can't use it, right? It wouldn't be fair. But if you have that reference, we're helping blah, 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 blah. And it's really working well for them. And they said that we should probably talk to you. Well, the specificity is really powerful there because I think by saying, oh, a bunch of law firms, a gaggle of law firms, that more equals better. But the other human being isn't able to actually visualize what that means. Like, What the heck is a bunch of law firms versus like you're saying the name of the law firm, you're saying the street address of where they are like. It's actually something that when you're storytelling or or telling a lie to somebody, the more details you insert, the more Mm -hmm. believable it is. Sometimes I like to trick Armand and tell him a ridiculous story. And I insert all these crazy details about the color of the shirt I was wearing and the fajitas I ate ate earlier in the day. And he believes it because there's so many specific details. You got something, Armand? Yeah, Jeb, I was going to ask about this because so I take a similar approach to what you guys are talking about where it'll be like, hey, we work with a couple other Andreessen portfolio companies, right? So the specific investor, they're an Andreessen portfolio company as well. But then say nothing about what the product does or the problem that you will solve, right? So only social proof. And I'll be like, hey, I sent Jeb a note the other day. I let him know I'd be giving him a ring, right? And so it's only social proof. And then, hey, he should know I'm calling. Am I setting myself up for a pissed off partner of a law firm, or is it okay to exclude the actual problem or the the solution that you potentially have? If it works, like if you if you just said we work with this and and we've helped them do this, or we work with this and there's some trends that are going to be impacting your balls coming up, and I thought you should know about those issues, then nothing wrong with that. I mean, there's nothing wrong with saying things as long as you're not lying to the gatekeeper. Mm-hmm. Like if you're lying to the gatekeeper, you're you're dead in the water. Don't trick the gatekeeper. Don't do anything that's other than absolute professional. Be as transparent as possible. Yeah. And and if you have real value for the law partner, then explain what that value is. So when you say a couple of other or a bunch of others, it doesn't really work. But if you said, we work with law firms that are in your sector to help them with this, this, and this, I sent you know Lawyer Blunt, I sent Jeb, a email letting them know that I was going to be calling because I have a few trends that he's going to need to know about that are going to be impacting what billing looks going down the road. Or I I sent him some information around how we're able to help increase billing without putting any more time on his schedule. You can do that. Now, so I'm going to tell, I want, I want to be as direct as possible about the value that I add because all the gatekeeper is doing is making a decision about whether or not they should put you on the calendar. Now, what my gatekeepers will do is if it sounds stupid, you're never talking to me and I'm never going to know about it, right? If it sounds good, then you'll you'll end up on my schedule somehow or another, right? And um, and if it if it sounds kind of maybe we need to talk to Jeb because I don't want to be the person that didn't bring this to him, then they may say, give me your information and let me go check with him. And that's fair, right? Now, in some situations, let's say that, Nick, you've called this lawyer over and over and over again. And let's say you've talked to the gatekeeper three or four times and the gatekeeper is not letting you through. One tactic that you can use is you can do this. You could say to Armand, let's say Armand's a gatekeeper. I would say, Armand, 
look, I know that your boss's time is really valuable. And my job is to help your boss. And I'm helping lots of law firms around Atlanta improve their billing. And in fact, on average, they're increasing billing by 20%. This is a lot of money. It's dropping straight to the bottom line, which means that they can provide better benefits. They can do more. And listen, I know that you're the person that is going to make the decision about whether or not I'm going to get to your boss. Would it be okay if I schedule a meeting with you so I could present my solution and you can make the decision whether or not it makes sense to get me in front of your boss? And you'll be surprised at how many gatekeepers will go, okay. Because suddenly what you've done is you've, you've acknowledged their power and you've showed them respect and it works. Now, if you're dealing with a receptionist, the receptionist's job is to give you information. When is Armand going to be in? Like, when is, when, when should I call here? What should I do there? What are y'all using right now for billing? Like I'm, I grill, I grill. If I got to go back, I'll grill them again, grill them again, grill them again, grill them again, but I'm going to keep doing that. So that, and I'll go there. Now, another thing that you can do, obviously you got the direct dial. If you, if you called the assistant, you got direct dial. You think you got direct dial, but you're dialing, dialing the wrong time of the day. You're dialing the, 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 you know, the, the lawyer say at, you know, 11 o'clock in the morning. Well, trust me, my, I came from a, my, my family is a, is a basically a law firm and, uh, and 11 o'clock in the morning, they're in depositions, they're in court, right? They're having lunch with clients. They're not sitting around in their offices and if they are in their offices, they're billing people, right? So same thing with calling doctors, right? You call doctors in the middle of the day, they only get paid when they're billing. Lawyers only get paid when they're billing. So when do you call? You want to call early, early in the morning. A lot of lawyers get in super early. You want to call late in the afternoon when they're wrapping up. You want to call on Friday afternoons. And here's a weird, crazy tip. Call them on Saturday mornings. Because a lot of attorneys are in their offices on Saturday mornings because lawyers are, that's a tough job. And by the way, this is just since you call on lawyers, most lawyers don't really like what they do. Like they're not happy people. And because of all the demands for the job, and I'm probably going to get hate mail for this, but it's the truth. Um, and again, I've, I've got firsthand experience because I am uh, my, my family literally is a law firm, right? So, um, so if you, if you think that way, then where, when are they going to be in the office? Saturday mornings are a great place. And this, by the way, is true for small businesses, for any type of professionals that you're calling. It's a great time to call. And, uh, and then finally, right. If, if nothing else, what you do with the, with the gatekeeper is you say, when you say, I'll meet with you, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to have DoorDash bring by coffee. I'm going to have DoorDash bring you lunch. So meet me at lunch. I'll pay for lunch and then I'll show you what we do. And you can make the decision from there, whether or not I'm going to move on to the boss. Now, obviously you would do that with great opportunities, the best opportunities. So, and all those things work and there's no, like, I don't have a magic pill for getting past gatekeepers. I can just tell you this. If you're vague, um, if you don't sound secure, if you don't sound confident, uh, if you get in fights with them, if you lie to them, your life is going to be a whole lot harder than dealing with them, treating them like human beings, and then using gatekeepers for the most important thing, which is gathering information so that you make your, you know, your database and your information about that particular prospect better. So in the long term, you're starting to use those signals to get in. So Jeb, we've gone through all of these objections. And in one of the objections, you talked about getting around it entirely by calling in the morning, calling in the afternoons, calling in a Saturday morning. Those are a lot of different times. So can you give me a sense? A lot of times I hear from reps, I don't have time to prospect. 
So how do I make sure if I'm the most successful rep in the world taking 10 calls per day, how do I make sure that I always get my prospecting in my daily rhythm? You start first thing in the morning. Like you start by eating the frog first thing in the morning. We talk about prospecting. Nobody likes prospecting. Prospecting is awful. Uh, it's a grind. Prospecting is the price that you have to pay in advance for success in sales. And it's not something that's like a quid pro quo. It's not like I call Nick and I get meetings, right? Sometimes I'm called Nick. I get the gatekeeper. I have a conversation with the gatekeeper and the gatekeeper goes and talks to, to her boss. And I send another email behind that and I connect on LinkedIn. And 30 days later, they re-engage and say, hey, we want to talk about this. So it's called the 30-day rule, right? The 30-day rule simply says that the prospect thing that you do in any given 30-day period has a tendency to pay off for you over the next 90 days. So a lot of salespeople, they say, I don't have time for prospecting. And what they're really saying is I did it once and it didn't work, right? Versus I do it every day, every day, every day, every day, every day, not prospecting day, prospecting every single day, right? So if you said, uh, if I said you have 15 minutes, Nick, you would say, yeah, I got 15 minutes. And Armas, you, you say I have 15 minutes. I say, great, you have 15 minutes. Okay. Well, do you have 30 minutes? Yeah, I have 30 minutes. Okay, great. Super. You have an hour. Yep. Cause pretty much every rep has an hour a day that they can, they can spend on prospecting. Great. Front load your day with frog eating, front load your day with prospecting, do it first thing in the morning. Like start off and just run a call block. It'll change your life. And this is what I mean by daily battle rhythm. So every single day you got a routine. Look at any salespeople anywhere in the world, anywhere, go anywhere. You look at the top salespeople, they have a routine and they run that routine every single day because they are elite athletes. Go look at any elite athlete, pick any league, anywhere, anyhow. And by the way, the way you invest your time is the greatest predictor in the world of whether you're going to be successful. And the thing about salespeople is when I say this, like you have the choice, because when you tell me you don't have time, I always tell people in the moment, I'm like, you're not going to like my answer because I don't buy that, right? You're the one that made that choice. You have choices and you got to make a choice. You got to make a choice whether you're going to be fanatical about prospecting, whether you're going to keep the pipeline full because the pipe is life. It's everything, right? You're going to make that choice or not. Well, Jeb, you said it in the beginning. It's like success in sales happens when you talk to more and more and more people. And something that I always have to remind myself is, like I tell myself success in sales is measured by the number of uncomfortable conversations that I'm willing to have. Uncomfortable conversations come not only in prospecting, but when you're working a deal, like maybe there's something that you can't do and the customer thought and you've got to have sort of an awkward conversation. Like your job is to go find that resistance and rejection and hard work. And Armand knows I'm a, I love routine, especially when it comes to sales, because there's so much chaos in the day of a salesperson. Something goes wrong with a, an order or a customer, or you get pulled into a last minute training, or your computer crashes, or you're traveling and things go awry. You can control the beginning and the ends of your day. And when you control those pieces of your routine, you're able to weather the chaos. All right, Jeb, we are running out of time here, and this has been a phenomenal episode. Thank you for joining us. We got to move to the final question, and the final question is this. We talked about a lot of things salespeople should be doing, but I want to flip that on its head and ask you the final question, which is, what is one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that they need to stop doing because it hurts them more than it helps? They pitch versus listen. And this is really simple. In sales, all you got to do is think about this. A question you ask is more important than anything that you will ever say. And anything that you say is more impactful and more provocative when you deliver it in the form of a question. Stop pitching, start listening. Beautiful. Jeb, is there anything else that you want to promote before we jump off here? 
Yeah, we talked about the Fanatical Prospecting book. Um, we built a book club guide. It's a 31-page book club guide that allows you to like run 12-week book clubs. So if you've got a team of people, uh, you can grab this guide for free. And if you're an individual reading it, it's like gives you reflection points and questions you should ask. And it's got even places for sort of like a workbook. It's absolutely free. And you can get it at salesgravy.com forward slash resources salesgravy.com forward slash resources. There's no strings attached. We just want people to enjoy the book club so you can roll through the book club guide. Beautiful. Jeb, we really appreciate you joining us on the show and everybody stick around for a 60 second recap coming up soon. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by PipeDrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with PipeDrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. Your top four takeaways from this episode with Jeb Blunt include, number one, eat the frog. Your first thing in the morning is prospecting. Just get it out of the way. Number two, the ledge. When someone gives you an objection, they're pushing you away. They're expecting you to come right back. But if you can instead just pattern break and agree with them, if they give you competitors say, oh yeah, I'm not surprised. They're awesome. They're a great group. You pull the chair out from underneath them and you pattern break, which brings us to number three. When you run into that competitor after you pattern break, you can say, hey, if nothing else, we'll leave you with a quote to keep the other guys honest. And then lastly, number four, when you're leading with context, especially when calling gatekeepers, do not just say, hey, we work with a bunch of other companies or we work with a bunch of other law firms. Instead, you can say, hey, we work with a few other Chicago law firms like X, Y, and Z, and you're also a Chicago law firm. All righty, Nick, those are our four. How could people help us out? So I've read all of Jeb's book, and it was still tremendously helpful for me to have a live conversation with him because I was able to workshop stuff. And occasionally, I get messages from folks who say, hey, I want to ask questions of you, Nick. I love the the asynchronous podcast, but I want to engage with you and Armand in real time. And that opportunity has come. We have launched 30 Minutes to Presidents Club live, and you can get information about when 30 Minutes to Presidents Club live is going on by following the link in the show notes to subscribe to our newsletter. We'll send you an email every now and then to let you know when 30 MPC Live is dropping. That's all I got. We'll catch you next week, folks.
Space Prospecting Tip is brought to you by Super Cadence by Influ2, which helps cut through the noise of oversaturated prospecting channels. If you want to get your prospect's attention, you got to do stuff a robot would never do. One of my favorite plays is getting warm introductions to the accounts that I'm targeting via salespeople who work at that account. Salespeople help salespeople. Another approach could be using Super Cadence to run SDR ads to put a face to the name. Now, we worked with Influ2 to put together a special toolkit on ways to humanize your outreach, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes. 